0: I'm going to redo my entire setup. Yeah. I'm going to have it be uh, it, actually, oddly, just in my bedroom.
1: Yeah, I got LED lighting for that, too, um, to help you with a key and a fill and all that kind of stuff. I, we can walk through it, but I got to do it here, too. I got to get blackout curtains. and um,
0: My wife will be happy if I have to get blackout curtains. She wants the house to be she the heat she says like we just need to keep these curtains closed all over the house and i said babe it'd be like living in a fucking dungeon i'd I'd like to have the sunlight come through into the house occasionally yeah
1: i think it depends on the room for us there's a glare potential in the living room where we could put the curtains there and then the tv is is nice and neat for a one o'clock kick on a sat on a sunday Right. But then my office, like where I'm sitting right now, this is um, the least insulated room I've ever been in in my life. So
0: I've been in that room. I did, a, I did the post-game show with Gene in that room when you were out of town.
1: Yeah, you got to turn the AC down to, well, probably your standard setting, but you got to turn it down to about 71 or 70 to get it reasonable in here in a summer afternoon. Now, it doesn't get morning sunlight, so it's always fine in the morning, but... In the afternoon, it just gets roasted, so the blackout curtains would do me very, very well here.
0: On the drive from school today, from where I drop rice off every morning, and I'm going to sorely miss doing that, because um that's Are been, you, though? Are you? Oh, I am. I am. It is, uh, oh, listen, there'll be benefits to not having to jump up at 5.30 in the morning and get- you know, everything prepared to get out the door to drive, pick up his friend and him and take it. Cause I pick up his buddy from around the corner and we take him in. But the more the closer we get to November when he turns 16, the the more I think about how much I'm gonna miss this. That's the truest and most like revealing conversation that we have. Yeah. Yeah. At any point during the day. Because otherwise we're just too busy, like caught up in our own stuff. You know, he's got I mean, he's got football practice every day. He's got homework. He's in honors classes. So he's in AP courses. And so he's got to work and, um, he's finding that out. Like even, you know, he's a really smart kid, but even AP history, he's like, Oh man, we're we're doing things now. We're, you know, so what's he in AP
1: world or AP us
0: AP world right now? Oh, wow.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and so, and then, you know, at football practice, then he's got football games and he's part of JV and varsity. So he's got double duty until the end of JV when yeah. he's just varsity. So he's got, so it's all, and then Clark, I, you know, same thing. So the only time I really get to have a conversation and get a sense of what he's thinking is the start of the day when we're driving in and then I'm sipping on coffee and he'll tell me, you know, I had a good practice yesterday, dad, or whatever it was, you know, or, I'm looking forward to this, or I'm dreading this, or I have a test, or whatever it might be. Um, like, this morning, we talked about the untimely and tragic death of Bray Wyatt.
1: Yeah, Whistler
0: yeah. And I was pissed.
1: He was good, man. And 30. I
0: love Bray Wyatt. He was the best. He, he kind of was what all the guys we used to like, Tom, back in the day were, in, in that he was a a, a classic, Like, evil, there was always this sort of ominous thing about him, and I loved it. I thought it was great. I I loved that they played up the swamp. Well, his original Bray Wyatt character was the the back swamps, you know, and everybody holding up their cell phones as he came in and the spooky lantern and all that. I loved it.
1: Yeah, and he would go up as far to the line as as could be in this era, which is sadly not even close to how far you could go in the late 90s and, and in the 80s. Um, but he was that, and he was the closest thing. And yeah, he had that screw loose, and you could tell that it's playing off of kind of who he was in real life. But it really, you know, he you could also tell he was smart enough and adjusted mm-hmm. that he probably created that character. Some characters you could tell, like the McMahons made that for this person because they're adults. Right. Yeah. And then there are others where you could tell, oh man, they you know what this has been their dream is to be this thing, and and yeah. Bray was the latter, I think.
0: Uh, His uncle was Barry Windham, and I didn't know that, and it's before your time, but I used to watch Barry Windham wrestle uh, in Georgia wrestling, and Gordon Soley would introduce him, and Barry Windham would come out uh, every Sunday evening at my grandmother's house when we'd go visit my grandma and granddad for dinner. I would sneak off into their bedroom and watch wrestling, and uh, Barry Windham was always on. He was just like this guy. They'd be like oh, and Barry Windham's going to take on, and whoever it was, like the (laughs) Junkyard Dog or something, I'd be like, "Ah, sorry-ass Barry Windham always on. They got Barry Windham on every week. But they loved him. He was a big to-do, and that was Bray Wyatt's uncle. I read that this morning. I didn't know that.
1: So Bray, you would say, was far superior to his (laughs) uncle Barry Windham.
0: By by far. By far. (laughs) Uh, So anyhow, those kinds of conversations. I was playing a podcast this morning for Bryce. We were talking about the start of college football. This is going to be a fun year for college football because he's super into it now that he knows, like when he comes home and we watch preseason football, like that Steelers game last night, he was talking about the various route combinations and he was talking about the spacing and he was talking about, Oh, that'd be cool if we did this. And then his terminology, he's applying their terminology to the formations he sees defensively and offensively. And I'm like, this is going to be, here we go. This is going to be cool.
1: Well, yeah, from a, I guess if you get down to the granular granular level of what each play is doing, then yes, he's going to see the game in a completely different way. He'll also have a better appreciation for how good the receivers are, for example, here. But what a time for him to jump in. I feel like that's um, kind of like the era I grew up in in the world, which was pre-internet versus broadband, Roadrunner and all that kind of stuff. I could see the transition for him in college football. He's going to see the transition because he's going to see the end of the Pac-12. He's going to see, uh, you know, rivalries, the last go of it. And and he'll remember this because he's in high school. But he'll see the final bedlam. He'll see the final Civil War. Um, he'll see the beginning of the Holy War as a conference game. Uh, he'll see a coast-to-coast Big Ten. But he'll know what the Big Ten was before that and Uh, The Rose Bowl, this will be one final go where, you know, it has the bowl tie-ins that it does. Next year is going to be the 12-team playoff. Like, this is quite the transitional year for him to really pick it up and and enjoy it maybe more than just going to, you know, a Noel game with his grandfather.
0: I hate that he'll never know what it was, like, a long time ago. You know, that's any generation. They can't, right? I mean, most of the time, things do get better. I'm not sure college football is getting better with all of this. Um it's different. I'm not going to be that guy that says, you know, "Oh, I hate college football now." Uh I love college football. In fact, I was thinking about that. Like the, the week 0 is stupid. Um but it's football and I get excited about football no matter what, and I I've already joked on the show that, you know, I'm going to watch all seven of those games and I probably will attempt to watch portions of all seven of those games yeah, yeah. Um. because I'm starved for football that counts. And, and, you know, I want to get a look at Notre Dame. I want to get a look at USC, but also I'm a gambler just like you. So yeah. I do like to get a look at these other teams. Like I wouldn't otherwise on a normal weekend, be all that excited to watch Hawaii play anybody, let alone Vanderbilt. But as a gambler, I want to know what Hawaii is and I want to know what Vanderbilt is. And so you're always uncovering stuff. But anyhow, yeah, I was thinking about where we're at with college football and what a wild transition the last five years have been. And I thought back to, you know, I very am, I'm very very much a byproduct of the classic college football, what we would consider uh, the thing that's being destroyed. Because, as a kid, the aforementioned visits to my grandparents, we watched Oklahoma in the Big Eight, and it was you know you, my granddad would be like, "Hey, we're playing Nebraska today. This is a big deal, you know." And I would, and I or Texas, obviously, and I would watch that. But even you know when the SEC sucked. I still had a sense of what the SEC was and my stepdad's a bull Gator and he would watch the Florida Georgia game. And I remember as a little kid, uh, the Buck Baloo game. And I can remember all that. I remember him yelling at the TV, somebody tackle him, somebody tackle that son of a bitch on the screen pass that beat Florida. That is hilarious. And the same goes for all the conferences. I think my earliest memory of college football, is a Michigan Notre Dame game from 1978 Notre I Notre Dame led the game at halftime. Here's what I this is crazy. Think about this. I I'll, I'll ask you this cuz I I don't I don't know that I have the answer. It's twofold. What's the earliest college football game that you can remember watching, being invested in, not it was on in the background but you watched it from start to finish? Yeah. Who played, who won, do you remember? And then in a minute, I want to get into the first game that you ever covered mm. as a media member. Mm. Um, I Or your first bowl or whatever. Like, I was thinking of benchmarks today, things that I'll always remember that got me so excited about the sport. But that Notre Dame-Michigan game, Michigan came back and won in the second half. They scored three touchdowns. And I think the final score is 28 to 14. I should have checked it before we started talking. But I think I'm right about that. And the point is, and I'll look at the year, it might have been 77, could have been 79, but I think it was 78. Because I would have been seven years old. And I, the reason I remember it is I watched it at my father's house. My parents were divorced and my dad had me that weekend. Um, every other weekend I used to go to my dad's house. And I went to his house and we used to, there's two things we would do. We would watch college football. We would back then, Tom, we would listen to Florida State on the radio. Um, because you couldn't get all the Florida State games. And we would listen to Florida State on the radio. And my earliest memories of that is when my dad would have parties. In retrospect, now I know they were parties. He was having his buddies over. You gotta think about this. When I was seven, eight years old, you know, my dad was what, 30? right right <laughs> so so it's like how young was he He yeah. was having buddies over the, and they were drinking and listening to florida state
1: that's a principal difference between our our fathers or our experience with our fathers they themselves are 22 days apart on this earth right. your right. dad was the 8th of yeah, may my dad's may 8th may 8th yes yeah my dad's the 30th of may 1948 same down the line yeah, but when I'm seven, my father's forty-five. Right. Very different experiences. Very yeah.
0: different experiences. Yeah. That is correct. Yeah, my dad uh, was was just out of his partying years.
1: Right, you know, he was. Yeah.
0: He's like, if you think about it, he was a single man um, by the time he was twenty-seven. So he's like, I yeah. mean, he's had a kid. He's been in the army. He's come home. He's been divorced and he's in his 20s. That's
1: that's a lot of shit to get through before <laughs> you're 30 years old. Like my dad, I barely remember black hair on my dad's head. Like he was more like yeah. 2006 yeah. George Clooney was is like the first color of hair that my father had. My 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 sister's like, "Don't you remember dad's black hair? It was so jet black." I'm like, "No. He was uh, always a salt and pepper guy."
0: Yeah, he, this is the regret uh a mutual friend of ours uh mario uh one time told me and this is many years ago this is funny you bring this up because it's exactly what you're thinking about and talking about i wrote a piece right after my dog carl died that ran on the 1270 website um and it was my uh homage to, to to carl the dog and uh Basically, I talked about how Carl and I would share these moments uh, on drives because I used to let him drive, it, be in the front seat of my car all the time. He loved the car, loved it, Tom. That's probably what I remember most other than his caring nature. He loved the car. And anyhow, when he passed away, unfortunately, he had bone cancer and he was only four years old. Um, and folks, Carl's a dog. So just just so you know, but I uh, I would, I would, I was sad by that and I typed this little tip of the cap to him. And I guess Mario read it, and he sent me an email and said, "You know, you should write more. A, B. You should um, write down things uh, from your from from this time period, because your children are never going to know you.
1: Yeah, yeah. uh,
0: At the age you are now, they'll never because they were babies. Like Bryce was, Bryce was literally a baby when Carl died. He's like Bryce will never know that dog, and he'll not know his dad." at this age he won't know the way you feel about the song tunnel of love by dire straits he won't know the way you feel you know like he may know a different perspective of that but he won't know the way you talk about it now and the way you look at the world now
1: yeah Yeah. um so my dad when he was stationed over in Vietnam would send and this was like the thing in the in the time Mm -hmm. because there is no internet there's no you know not even landline phone calls you couldn't make those it wasn't safe enough. So they would send audio tapes, you know, and it's basically it's basically like an audio tape. He would send multiple home, one for his parents, one for his fiance, my mom. And I've only heard it once. And I think they've been destroyed because it was private, you know. Um, But I remember hearing it when I was about eight years old, nine years old. And it sounded like a ghost, even though my dad is around. It sounded like a completely different human being. And I yeah. just remember how young the voice sounded. Frankly, yeah. it reminds me of listening, um, in in a weird way, in a non personal way, to when I was doing archiving of the show when when I was first a, a member of the show. You and bring I,
0: that up a lot. You must. It, it was a very different me, wasn't it? it
1: oh my god! Oh my god! Uh, it was Waffle House five thirty five in the morning. Anybody? Like it's just the pacing of it was aggressive and raw, and you could hear the cigarettes in in both you and Millar's voices. But Malar sounded so. He sounded like me at the time that I was editing because he was that age. He was in his yeah. you know early twenties. Yeah. Um, but it just you sound like a different part. You are a different person,
0: yeah.
1: uh, and and you could yeah. hear that in the voice, the youth, the fear, all of that kind of stuff in those tapes that he sent over. And it just was foreign, even though it was him. And I'm looking at him as it was playing, and he didn't. He was like turn that shit off. Um, it was strange, and and to your point. We're completely different people. A different Like, if I ran into myself at the Corner Pocket Bar and Grill, I've been going there long enough. If I ran into myself from 2009, when I first was going to the CP, today, as we're going there for the listener event, as we're recording this,
0: I think I'd hate that guy's guts. I'd be like, no, oh, this no, guy. you hate him. You'd, you'd just think he was immature. You I, wouldn't hate I him. I wouldn't want
1: to sit at his t- high-top table. I'd be like, you're too much, dude. You're too much. Yeah. Just, maybe. Yeah. Maybe.
0: I knew you then. It, you weren't a bad guy. Um, was different. I
1: think, I think, way you, different
0: you were you were immature but everybody is at that age and i'm i I have a bag somewhere i gotta find them i've got a bag of tapes quite literally a bag like a duffel bag of tapes of the earliest shows i've ever done uh the first year of doing radio uh non non non-1270 tapes uh 1580 wtcl tapes and on those tapes is a very excited scared to death but maybe i have found my calling yeah young man learning to do radio that would make me cringe mm-hmm. uh one of the so it the 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 effort to try to contextualize what people were doing, thinking, the norms at the time, the societal acceptance of certain things and not others, it gets lost all the time. we talk about this. I remember when the you know the debates about uh taking down statues. Christy was talking about they took down uh I guess there's a there was a Jefferson Epps statue. I couldn't really mm. remember it's one I of the great
1: that. trophies in college football <laughs> <laughs>
0: But they took down one, uh, the Epps one, at Florida State. Like, if you went on the walk that basically – I've never done it, but Christy had, I guess. Like, if you were visiting Florida State, you could go on this walk that basically gave you the history of the school mm-hmm. from its earliest stages. You know, it, the it, when it was uh, born and into, you know, a women's college, all that stuff, all the way through, right? And she said, you know what? I get what's going on, and there are certain statues that should be pulled down all across the country. Oh, shit.
1: Here we go. All right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And she said, but there's still others that I wouldn't. And I said, oh, well, this is interesting because the line of delineation, like where you decide yes on this and no on others, is very fascinating. And I wanted to have that conversation. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people cannot have the conversation. They can't fucking have it. They they get emotional. They get in their feelings, and it becomes this um, politicized thing. But I think you can. I think there's two ways to look at it. You can have a conversation, like a fucking real conversation. Yeah. Where you say, "All right, what what was the reasoning behind the erection of uh, the the erection <laughs> of this <laughs> of this statue?" And what was you know there are ones that you can easily identify. Like if you're putting up a, a Confederate statue. Uh, in 1974 of a guy that's been dead since the 1800s, (laughs) we know why the fuck you put that statue. Well, yeah, I
1: I think that that's part of it. It, It's... Right. What is a statue to you? Like, define what a statue is. If you're saying it's a marker of something that occurred, all right, I'll still listen. But if you're saying it is a memorial a celebration right. if it's right. if it's a right. celebration then
0: right this gets very right. listen it's right. a nuanced conversation it really is i i'm not going to get into that right now but what i will say is that in this house we had this conversation and she said look if you're marking the time from fsu's origin to now why, you know, why would you take that down? He 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 started the college. I said, yeah. well, I said, well, babe, there's a very big difference between noting for the history books who started the university and how and why and having a statue. <laughs> and so we kind of went into this conversation. Well, the point would be this. When I think about that debate, just in general, And recognize the complexities of that. Some of it's straightforward. Some of it's very easy, and I have a stance on this. And some of it is really much more complicated, and I have a stance on that too. But when I go back and listen to those tapes, and I haven't in years, and I shudder to think now Mm. what I would hear on those tapes. But the reason I'm sensitive to it is because (laughs) that kid that is starting in radio is of a time. Right, yeah. Of a a certain time. Yeah. With very different standards and very different norms. And I'm also now a very different person. So you have to be allowed to swing and miss. You have to be allowed to fail you have to be allowed to grow and mature and change what you think based on information that you glean later on or interactions that you have or the life that you live. And so when you retroactively go back and and then you listen to a kid who's 25 years old and doesn't know shit about shit, and he says something that now he knows to be absurd and you would never say, whether it's you know, a misogynistic term or a homophobic term or making fun of somebody's intellectual deficiencies or whatever, like the way we would casually 30 years ago and in conversation just say something and not thinking about the repercussions of it or even intending to hurt anybody. When you go back and listen to that, now you, you shudder, now you recoil. But that wasn't that person had no hate in their heart when they said the things that they did 25, 27 years ago. Uh,
1: well, I mean, if it's you re- listening to your tapes, you can know that, but I'm not going to put that on a statue of somebody from the 19th century They didn't you know have I mean, hate in their heart. You know what I mean? Like,
0: No, no, no. No, we agree on that, Tom. What, I, what, what I'm saying is, I'm not justifying, this is no, no longer a discussion about statues. What I'm saying is, you can, though, think like, okay, somebody like, George Washington or Jefferson or whatever, you can say like, all right, well, of that time, they recognized, let's say, and this gets really complex because some of our founding fathers knew slavery was wrong and even wrote about it at length that it was wrong. But trying to get others uh, to be of like mind and to take action was very difficult, right? So they, they would write in their journals, how do I... How do I express, like Lincoln later did, that this is a a great evil and we need to do away with this, that this is not what we should be doing any longer? And also retain power. How do I get anything done that I want to get done the second I proclaim this? I'm fucking out.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it gets really complex.
1: Yeah. And even though this is a form where we get into complexities, I, d- I don't have a simple answer. Nobody does. Uh, there isn't
0: I, one. There isn't one, Tom. There and and one. I
1: agree with you that, look, we all understand that we do not understand what the realities were of life day to day. In 1750, 1860, 1930, 1960. I don't know that. I'd be like, Dad, what was it like to go through the 60s? Your dad could answer that. My dad could answer that. They'd have very interesting perspectives. But I have no fucking clue what that was like.
0: It's a cool thing you bring up, Tom, because I read something uh, not long ago that fascinated me. And you know I'm always interested in history and time and artifacts and things that we find out and writings and, and, you know, all this stuff. I... Somebody was talking about the way humans process time. So, you know how a dog, anything beyond 45 minutes is the same to them? I did not you know, know that? that. Yeah. So, dogs can understand about the passage of time like somewhere like between 30 and 45 minutes. They know like if you leave if you leave the house and you're gone for 15 minutes, they know that and they don't, they can't verbalize this, but they get that you've not been gone long.
1: Okay.
0: However, anything after 45 minutes, it's like you've been gone for a week. <laughs> it's up to them. It's just, where are my people? I have not seen my people. <laughs> like you, I could tell Maggie, yeah. I just saw you this morning when I went off to work. And now I'm home. It's five o'clock and I'm home. It's okay. Girl, I've only been gone for half a day. To her, I've been gone. Who knows how long? Right. It's been fun. <laughs> well,
1: so and that's why animals, even in the morning, you know? They get so excited. They get so excited, yeah. Right. I, I didn't know that 45 minutes was the cutoff, though.
0: Yeah, 45 minutes, about 45 minutes is what a dog can contemplate, can kind of figure out. Like, oh, they've only been gone a little bit. But if you've been gone like an hour, they, yeah. to them, it might as well have been 10 hours. Might as well have been three days. Like, yeah. it's hard for them. That's why they get so excited. So, human beings obviously have the capability of contemplating and and figuring out uh, the difference between a day and a week and a month and a year. What they've tried to do studies on are, what can we wrap our brain around in terms of eras of time? Can you, so you brought up the 1960s. The 1960s are close enough to our time that you and I can look at video of JFK and Martin Luther King and, and, and all these different figures from that era. And it makes sense to us. Like I, I wasn't alive when JFK got shot. You yeah. weren't either. But we can look at that video and we can contextualize that. We can say, okay, he's in Dallas, Texas. He's driving on this road in this kind of a car. That makes sense to me. Obviously our dads were alive and they remembered exactly where they were when all of that went down. I'm using it a point in history. How much further back can you go and actually wrap your mind around what it was like i think you and i can kind of think of what the 60s might have been like 70s certainly i can yeah yeah but the test is can you can you imagine 1900 maybe maybe yeah probably and can you imagine 1865 well a little bit. Yeah, I think, I think I can. I've been in remote places in the dead of heat before thinking about how hard it is to slog through this field. Sure. Maybe that's, cause that's what it was like all over America yeah, <laughs> all the yeah. time. Right. But when you say 1700s, the studies kind of show you that basically you get much beyond two and 300 years. Human beings cannot, cannot understand, no. cannot understand. No. No. But- well-
1: I think even if you get back to the era of the Model T driving on dirt roads, I have a hard time walking down that block and seeing it and feeling it. You know, vegetable stands, Model T, as they're going by. And, you know, there's still blacksmiths on on this planet. Like, I don't know, man, that I could understand the day-to-day life. The 40s and the 50s, no problem. You should see the HOA neighborhood my parents live in. So I understand what the hell that burbs existence is. Um, you go to Manhattan, and we—I come from New, my family comes from New York. Like you can see, you could see that, you know, the old colorized photos of, you know, New York the day that uh, the Germans surrendered. And you're like, okay, I get a, the same buildings here. I look at that, right? All right, right no right. problem. But if I try to, to fathom World War One, United States, or earlier, I don't know that I can walk down those streets and feel familiar or, or hear in the your sounds. Mind,
0: yeah, in your mind, you can't. Yeah. yeah. Well, I. I so it's different for everybody, and I find it fascinating, but they, they do do studies on this, and they, they're far more complex than I'm making them, and there are people who study the way the brain operates and the way human beings uh, f- put things in in frames, frames of reference, uh, and, and they know what we're capable, like you can't, you and I cannot think of ancient Rome and, and walking the streets, uh, uh, you, you can't, like you and I have both studied that, and we find it fascinating. And I've read books on Rome, and I know you have too, and we oh. know they were tiny people, and they were in terrible conditions. <laughs> and we know that uh, not only that, I mean, it was uh, it was a fucking terrible life for 99% of the people that lived there, and their yeah. life expectancy wasn't beyond 30 and all that stuff. Yeah, like, you, we can figure that out.
1: The, you did not want to live in the penthouse of, no, of your domicile. You're going to burn to death. You're just going to die. <laughs> you're
0: you're going to die. Um, so we can know those things, and you can know it, but you can't really... Yeah. have a frame of reference for it. Like, you can't, in your mind, as we were saying earlier, contextualize that. Not really. Right. And you certainly can't do it when we're talking about, like, you know, 9 AD or something like that. Like, you can't do that.
1: Oh, well, according to Matthew, uh, chapter 7. <laughs> <No>, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think, you know, there's a great example in sports. I'm, I'm going to leave the statue thing alone after this, but I just want to say one more thing about it. There's a great place in sports where you can kind of take this analogy and say what do you do ty cobb's a piece of shit but ty cobb has a bust in cooperstown yes he does like so are, should we take the ty cobb bust out of cooperstown because ty no. cobb was human garbage like no. I, don't, I don't know at the same time at the same time though because we are walking contradictions
0: Oh, yes. And it is complex. Does it always
1: have to be a fucking statue? Can it just be sometimes a marker (laughs) with like a paragraph?
0: Well, that's what I said. That's hey, listen, you brought it home. I said this to Christy. Why do we need a statue? Yeah, just put a goddamn marker down on the ground that says this guy started and this was the year.
1: And they were the bobbleheads of their time anyway. It's not how they actually looked. You know, you look at a bobblehead and you get and you're like, that doesn't really look like this guy. Thanks for the giveaway, no big deal. I, they've got the skin tone right. They've got the eye color right. Beyond that, I don't recognize this dude. Does not look like Freddie Freeman. You know, like, whatever. Well, I'm,
0: not a, I'm not a big statue guy anyhow. I also thought when we did the stained glass window with Bobby that that was the dumbest thing of all time. And I said it at the time, pissed everybody off, and I still think it looks stupid. But it, the point... <laughs> agreed.
1: We're not Notre Dame. Like, that's something Notre Dame would do. You
0: well, know? it's just... It's, it's cheesy. The whole thing is cheesy. It, it's stopping it, everybody. I've seen but enough anyway. stained
1: glass in my life, I guess, where I'm like, really?
0: I mean... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I roll my eyes. Where's Jimbo stained
1: glass? Can we have a Jimbo stained glass?
0: Oh, oh, well, like, uh, I think LSU has a statue of Nick Saban. And I thought, really? I put a statue of Nick Saban at LSU? <laughs>
1: but the, here's the deal. I, I, I do I do get down with this argument. If you're going to have a statue of Bobby, you got to have a statue of Mickey. It's a crime. And he's going to be off this earth before we make it, which sucks.
0: I like this statue of Bobby just fine. Um, you know, obviously, uh, is the... Uh, bedrock for a program that he put helped put on the map, but also took it to heights the likes of which nobody could have ever imagined. And yep. it's the reason Florida State's Florida State. So I'm fine with that. And I'm agreement. I'm in agreement with you that they got to do something for Mickey, if not a statue. I mean, it's not much to change the name of one of these freaking roads over there. They do it all the time. Well, I mean, change it to Mickey Andrews Way or something.
1: I, I think a statue for the practice fields. That is where everybody has a story about Mickey was Mickey, preparation yeah. practice. field. I, do too.
0: It- I got to see Mickey Andrews coach up close and personal. I got to see Mickey Andrews scream down defensive backs. Yeah. I got to see and listen to how that sounded. It was awesome. Well,
1: and the thing is, I saw him at practice two weeks ago. He still checks in. He's still connected to the program. You know, I don't know Mickey the man. But everybody who does advocates for him as somebody who was dictatorial and brutal but loved you. As much as yeah. he yelled at you, he loved you. There was Most like importantly, his players all say that. That's what I'm saying. It's a one-to-one ratio. Like, of how mean he was on the practice fields is how much he loved you. One-to-one ratio. Do you know how much it would mean to that man that if you just say, if you're at the university, that this football-only facility that's going to get erected, I guess, eventually— and you call that the dunlap this and the dunlap that but it's the andrews practice fields the mickey andrews practice fields do you and made- know and, and you put a statue at the entrance to the practice fields of mickey andrews do you know how much it would mean to him like the man would be brought to he, that if i'm going to be you know kind of dark that might kill him like he it, it would mean <laughs> so much to him it would bring him oh. to the ground he loves this university so much and he cared about the preparation and the work so much. That's not hard. Bobby Bowden field in the stadium. Mickey Andrews practice fields at the facility. Statue. We're done here.
0: Please, I think you got it right. I think you got it right, and I'm for it. And hopefully, the right people will hear this. And you know, I know Corey's been on that uh, for a long time in some capacity. Like, guys, we got to do something for Mickey Andrews. And and he's right. You're right. I think we all agree with that. I can't. I can't think of a single Florida State diehard that wouldn't be like. Oh, this is a good idea. I mean, they would all think it was a great idea. And you're right. I think the time to honor people is while they're here. That's right. It's like, this is why I get mad about the College Football Hall of Fame. I just visited the College Football Hall of Fame. uh, And right before we went to Ireland, Ira and I went to the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta. And we went around, and it's a great facility. If you get a chance to go, you should go. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was better than I thought it was going to be. And... It also made me realize, like, God, dog, we're screwing this up. But anyhow, as I was there, I'm looking at the names of the people. I wanted to see Marvin Jones, and he was part of the last class. And, you know, Marvin Jones is my favorite player of all time in Florida State history. And they had, for all of this year's, the, 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 the most recent inductees, a special area. And they were like, congratulations, too. And yeah. they had the people that were going in with Marvin. And I and I was like, oh, man, this is going to be cool. So I went over there and I looked at it. And they had this digital display, Tom. It's cool. It's like, uh, you remember the old um, uh, cylinder picture holders where you would just spin them around and you could look at different, you could house pictures there. And, and, and it was almost like a leaning tower of Pisa that you just Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, they had that and it only it was digital and it was huge and so you could scroll through players and and highlights so you'd hit play when you got to your guy and they would have a montage of their career like if they you know if they were modern they would have a montage of their career you'd see highlights so they have Marvin's hit against the Canes and they have all these great moments where he's making plays and then Gene Deckeroff's on it it's awesome you know it's really cool so I'm looking at that and I'm watching that and I'm thinking, this is awesome. And then I went back and I, I did Jameis Winston and Charlie Ward and Chris Winkie, cause they have all the Heisman winners. And you, you know, you go and do that. And I did it for lots of players. I did it for players that I just happened to like from yesteryear at Oklahoma or wherever. Right. And then I realized like, why is this guy in the hall of fame and this guy? So th- there was a guy that got elected to the hall of fame who played who last played in 1952, and he mm. just got in two years ago? Mm. Well, that bitch is dead, Tom. Yeah,
1: well, he, he,
0: yeah. he doesn't know he's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he never got to see <laughs> <yeah>. that.
1: Well, <laughs> there there might be a cutoff period where they're like, what what difference does it make? The Hall of Fame is only 15 years old anyway, you know. So let's get some of these let's get some of these 90s guys in there, and then we'll worry about circling back to the 40s and the 50s. Well,
0: but my point is, though, they need to do a better job of it. They don't put enough people in annually. This is not the NFL. Where if you go way back, there were only twenty-eight teams, you know, or or before that, twenty-four teams. Like this isn't you, college football. Yeah. There's a hundred plus teams playing college football every year. The opera. There's a guy having a prolific career right now at Furman, who <laughs> you know is a outside linebacker who may retire or or graduate from Furman as the all-time leading tackler of the Southern Conference. I'm making this up, but the point, like that dude should get into the Hall of Fame. He just happens to be a badass at fucking Furman and nobody knows about him except for Furman fans. But aren't you, if you're the all time anything, worthy of making the college football Hall of Fame? If you make the most kicks in the history of college football and you play at Villanova and nobody knows it, aren't you still a college football Hall of Famer? You made more kicks than anybody that's ever played.
1: I guess so. I would draw the line maybe before Villanova or Furman, but I guess not if you're setting an all-time record across all divisions. College
0: Football Hall of Fame, you can be in the College Football Hall of Fame if you play and coach at FAMU or you play and coach at Michigan.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah.
0: So I'm saying, like, they need to elect. My point of this isn't like, hey, hey, rah, rah, the little guy. My point is College Football Hall of Fame needs to be inducting 50 people at a time so that we can get caught up. Otherwise, if you're going to do three, four, seven, we're never going to get caught up. Dudes are going to die.
1: You know what, though? Here's what they should do. They should erect a statue of Joe Paterno. I think that's what they should do at the College Football Hall of Fame. Let's let's call it what it is. The man was famous. (laughs) He marked (laughs) the time.
0: (laughs) Well, if you really wanted to be controversial, you could put up the statue of his defensive (laughs) coordinator. Yeah, that's
1: it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Hey, hey, he may have been a child rapist, <laughs> but that man's contributions to college football <laughs> I think I think you now have page one of the playbook. If I ever have to get
1: into the statue argument with somebody I don't want to get into the statue argument with, do you think Jerry Sandusky deserves a statue, do you? <laughs> you think Sandusky Hey hey, look at the numbers. Look at the numbers. <laughs> you tell me if Dominic, that man does is-
0: <laughs> I'm trying to tell you something, Kyle. Can you please ignore his child rape? The man Put together dominant defense after dominant defense and all you want to do is talk about fucking child rape. I'm trying to talk about tackles. I'm trying to talk about defensive dominance. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this uh this certainly is bellying up. Welcome back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How fun is that? Yeah. So yeah. anyhow, uh that makes me laugh. Oh, by the way, the battle's in. It doesn't make <laughs> me laugh. It makes me smile.
1: <laughs> From Sandusky to the battle's end. Let's do it.
0: I think the battles in would appreciate this Uh, use code TBE 50 for 50% off your group of four to play Saturday, September the 2nd. Uh, Yeah, man, this is the battles in season kickoff golf tournament, by the way, that is going to include a VIP admission to the uh, evening event and tickets to Madison social uh, tailgate there on Sunday and uh, the golf course champions gate gorgeous. So you're going to want to join the battles in family, Get signed up man! join that group. They're doing amazing things for Florida State. The capability of, uh, you know, to to bring in players and to retain players and all those things. That's all about the Battles End.
1: So the easiest way to sign up is go to the BattlesEnd.com and then go to the TBE events link. It's at the top of the site. So you go to BattlesEnd.com. It says TBE events. Click that and you'll see a link for the golf tournament. But code TBE50 gets you half off. It'll be a good time.
0: It'll be a really good time, really good time. Anyhow, twenty-eight to fourteen, Michigan over Notre Dame. Oh, yeah. I, I think <laughs> right. it was nineteen seventy-eight. Somehow
1: we got the statues
0: from there. Okay, so yeah. And then I think also, um, the first bowl game I ever attended was the Orange Bowl, mm. and then I have since been to a gazillion. Uh, My dad, speaking of trying to contextualize time, place, people, what it was like, saw uh, Alabama, no, Tennessee play Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl. And he also saw Alabama play Oklahoma uh, down in Miami in the Orange Bowl many, many moons ago. And he got to stand next to and talk to Bear Bryant. Oh, wow. He tells that story. Yeah.
1: That's crazy. Um, Pretty crazy, isn't it? the first game i can really remember being invested in as in start to finish and but like i'm too young to tell you the particulars of you know the third down conversion rate in the game or anything like that sure sure it's so the game of the century it was the game of the century in november of 19- 19 yeah 1993 i was just 7 i had just turned yes. 7
0: i was in college <laughs>
1: Yeah, and um, I just remember that being the be-all, end-all. We had moved from New York in the late 80s uh, to the Tampa Bay area. My sister went to Florida State, and that was our introduction as a family. My dad had an appreciation for college football because he was a sports nut, but really getting into what it meant to be a college football fan was thanks to my sister Elizabeth and and the golden era of Florida State football. What a time to be a kid growing up was the 90s. Uh, I remember being heartbroken about that game. We did not like Notre Dame and that family, despite being from the Northeast and Catholic. We did not like Notre Dame, even before the Florida State Allegiance. And I remember the subsequent game against Boston College and, and how they paved the way for us. I remember I was on a knee. I was, I was imitating the players because if you recall, in those days, if there was a big moment, both sidelines would be on a knee. Right. And they'd have their arms around each other and they'd be watching the kick because it just, that year it seemed like it came down to kicks, a ton of them. Yeah. But I remember watching the BC players with the hope in their eyes and the Notre Dame players with the fear in their eyes as they're on NBC cutting back and forth between those two sidelines. The kick goes uh, the way we needed to go. I go sprinting in my house, put on my Florida State stuff. We had a Marching Chief CD. We blared it because we knew the implications of that moment. Yeah. Uh, The Florida game that year, I remember that. Uh, You were there doing pelvic thrusts and so forth.
0: I was, indeed.
1: And then we were at Disney World for New Year's that year, and I remember falling asleep in maybe the late first, early second quarter of the Orange Bowl. And my dad waking me up the next day, and it wasn't what park are we going to. We seeing Mickey, it was, did we win? And he said, we did (laughs) <laughs> we won, and that's um, that's the first memory I have of, of college football. But well, That's yeah.
0: a great memory to have, especially since you went on to go to Florida State and graduate from Florida State and be a Knoll yourself, so that's a cool thing to have that be your first memory of college football. By the way, one side note, uh, I, I was uh, obviously in school here at the time and, and living uh, with my buddy Bill Logan, and we uh, ran out of our apartment when the kick went through that you referenced yeah. for BC into the foyer uh, and all the other students uh, came running out, too, and we were hugging and jumping up and down with random strangers, yeah. people we have never even said hello to, just hugging and jumping right. up and down, knowing that we were going to play for the national title. In
1: that was, um, in a way, that that Notre Dame-BC game, in a way, stands out more because it's the positive memory versus the, you know, Charlie Ward- rolling out, making a throw, a desperate heave at the end. Like I I remember that more. Do you recall those camera shots? They're like holding hands. They're like,
0: oh, they are. Uh, You know what? A lot of people, well, there are people my age who will certainly remember this. When the kick leaves the BC kicker's foot, it's not good. It's it's wide Mm -hmm. and it's a knuckler. And I'm watching it going, he fucking missed it. And then Mm. inexplicably, and I would love to bring this up to Notre Dame fans. Something seemed to curve it back <laughs> in, Tom. And anyhow, that knuckler went from outside of the posts to mm-hmm. pretty much in the middle, but it came off his foot all wrong. He didn't catch that ball. Yeah. He got lucky. It it's a knuckler and it's ugly, but it goes in. It does go in and yeah. it's not close. But I remember thinking he missed it, and then I saw it curve back, and I went, oh, shit.
1: Yeah, it was uh, as uh, maybe Sister Mary would say back in my, uh, the breath of Jesus. That's what <laughs> it was. The breath of Jesus kicked it in uh, between the posts.
0: But, yeah, so I, that's what I remember <laughs> about that kick is I thought he missed it, and Bill and I were like, damn it. Yeah. And then and then it went back through. And, uh, you know, again, that was uh, an amazing time and, and living on Ocala Road and running out there. And it was just crazy. Like, that was a good time.
1: Yeah. The first uh, first game I covered, I didn't actually go to is very modern uh, in, in in a way ahead of its time. But it was Bowden's final game. Uh, I had I had an I opportunity present itself for a, a fledgling website named Nolinsider.com that would eventually yeah. become Knowles 24-7. Yeah. Uh, it was fi- – <laughs> man, they had me over a barrel. It was 500 bucks a month for 25 pieces of content that were at minimum 400 words. That was a lot of writing, my man, for yeah. – um, and it was – that was, you know, pre-tax, so there were other jobs uh, like working at 1270 that, you know, yeah. helped pave the way. Uh, But that was the first day because it was New Year's uh, 2010, and that was when my contract – well, contract. That was when my Stringer career began. But I remember that game vividly, everything from Jarman Fortson's catch to uh, a a safety named Robert Sands for West Virginia that I thought was going to be an excellent pro because he was just always in the right place. But you learn that just because a guy plays well against your sorry ass team doesn't mean he's going to be a good pro. That's um, correct. But Noel Devine was on that team. Uh, he
0: was, and I still get mad about Dion telling him not to go to Florida State. One yeah. of the many reasons to not like Dion. But you know, yeah, he wasn't wrong in that in that era. Uh, no, no, no I, I get it. It's just it's more complex than that. Yeah, but yeah.
1: yeah, that was um, that was the first one, and then the first. So I never got to cover a practice or anything with Bobby Bowden as the head coach. I, I completely was. Brand new when Jimbo was brand new, and and that first spring in 2010, he was not quite Mike Norvell open, but it was pretty open. You got to see an awful lot. He brought us in for scrimmages. Uh, we went up in the press box for that. You were there for those. Yep. I remember the the first impressions of Xavier Rhodes at corner and, and Terrence Parks at safety, and uh, that was um that was a fun time because Jimbo. Hadn't uh, hadn't earned enough bona fides to shut us out yet. So that, that was pretty good. Yeah, cool.
0: yeah, he batting down the hatches later on as he had success. But um also he got mad at something that somebody wrote. Um, I yeah, I, I was fortunate enough. I did. I got to cover Bobby Bowden. I got to cover the 99 team from start to finish. I got to see them go wire to wire. I That's got to absurd. talk to Ross Brannon and Ryan Sprague before they played their first game, and I asked Ross Brannon uh if you guys don't go wire to wire undefeated is this season a disappointment and he said yes Mm -hmm. he said yes Ross Brannon still lives and works in Tallahassee and I've run into him on occasion he's still a very very tall man he's just not nearly as girthy (laughs) he's he was a big guy uh offensive lineman and I saw him I think the last time I saw Ross might have been like at Publix and he's like We're coming up on the 20th anniversary of you asking me whether or not it would be disappointing if we didn't go undefeated. (laughs) That's interesting, though.
1: Just beyond, you know, that season and being able to cover it, you did always, in a sense, cover Florida State as an older guy. And when I started in 2010, I was in my mid-20s, like early to mid-20s. So I was almost covering peers, like Christian Ponder's almost a peer. Um, I came in to Florida State January of 06, and that was my second semester out of high school. For Christian, he was an early in, like it was gray shirt, I guess, territory or whatever, but he was there early. He should have been in in senior year. So we're about a year apart. Drew Weatherford, who obviously made, you know, board of trustees and whatever uh, headlines. He was a peer. So when I was covering the team with Ponder, and even E.J. Manuel, to a degree, they were within touch of age. And that was always awkward. I don't know yeah, if I yeah, like that yeah. very much. I
0: was 27 when I was starting to cover Florida State and, yeah. and being at those practices. So, yeah, you're right. And In a way, I was... Older.
1: Like, some of the guys enjoyed – more with the baseball team, I liked, you know, yucking it up with some of those guys at, as the same age just because it was like a cult following. And you'd see – it was weird, man. It, it, some of it was almost famous Ask You're like, man, you got some groupies? This is strange.
0: Kind of weird, But
1: yeah. the football players I didn't like as much that, you know, I'd cover them, there'd be a game, I'd go to the Palace, and then I'd see, you know, three or four players there. I'm like, I don't like this. I'd, I'd rather, you know, there be some distance. You want a
0: separation. I yeah, used to – One of the reasons there was a stretch, a very long stretch of time when I covered early on in my career, when I was doing mornings for 1270, where somewhere along the way, I stopped going over to practices. And I think I would have handled this much differently now. But one of the reasons that I stopped going was I got to know those coaches and players too well. And I felt like I was almost betraying them Mm -hmm. when I was critical. And if I was criticizing a coach or, or, or even Bobby Bowden after a game in which the team played poorly, I felt like, man, they, you know, they've given me this access and they've talked to me like, like I'm a regular guy and they'll tell me things and then I turn around and rip them. It, it, felt, it felt weird. Uh, there was a better way to do that. You can still go to practice and still have the means by which to criticize and do your job. Yeah. But I was too young and immature to understand how to do that. So I just stopped going because I wanted to be free to say whatever I needed to say about what I was watching on Saturdays. And if I saw something I loved, I wanted to be able to come in and unabashedly praise them without feeling awkward. Mm -hmm. And if I saw something I hated, I wanted to be able to go in on them and rip them. uh, without. I guess in some ways you're shirking responsibility because you're not showing up after being critical. I realize that now. I didn't realize it then. Now I'm not afraid yeah. at all. I'm a grown ass man, and this is my job, and I'm not really worried about anything. I mean, Mike could get as mad at me as he wants to get. Um, I don't. I haven't given him reason. I think I'm more professional than I used to be. But um, you know, I can give an opinion and now I'll show up the next day and not be worried about
1: it. Yeah. No. Uh, th- there's always a balance there. For me, I was more writing than doing anything at that time, and I remember thinking, "You're an old grad. Your tendency is that you're going to skew optimistic. So make sure that if you write something." It it needs to feel a little critical to you, like in in your own in your own scope. It needs to feel a little uncomfortably critical, because that means that you're probably closer to center, because mm. you want them to be good. You could try and bury that as much as you want, but you want them in your heart of hearts to be good. So let's feel a little uncomfortable with how much we push it in terms of being critiquing and and um negative, and well, that's probably that's probably close to
0: balance. On that subject, though, I will tell you this. I actually believe, and I believe this uh, extends all the way to criticisms of government or country or whatever. If you are something, you're actually more capable and actually have a greater responsibility Yeah. Uh, to, to be critical of the things that are wrong or that you see as wrong. So like we ebbs and flows throughout history in the United States, if you use it big picture and you talk about country, you're a great patriot if you crit- criticize your country for doing wrong. You are the greatest form of patriotism is to hold your yeah. country to the standards, uh, the highest standards that you that you think uh, they deserve to be held to, or worthy of, or that you aspire to. So if you you know if you say this and you want to be this to the world, well then I want to hold you to that because I want to be proud of where we live and who we are. Yeah. So me ripping the country, for example. Is, is a great form of patriotism as opposed to just blindly waving the flag. Yeah. I think that's true at a micro level at Florida State. I think if, if you're a Florida State graduate and a diehard knoll, and like you said, we both want the program to be good, we both want the team to win, but you also know the standard of excellence is the standard of excellence, Tom. And if they are not reaching that, you owe it to the fan base, to your fellow alum, to the boosters, to the people who love Florida State at all, in any way, shape, or form, this community. You owe it to them to come in and say, hey, look, I don't care what you're hearing about why we didn't do this or what happened here or what the coach had to say. They fucked that up on Saturday. That was wrong, and let me tell you why it was wrong. And you owe it. You have to do that.
1: Yeah, agreed. You know, I, I think that there are different forms of expression in terms of broadcasting that allow you to flesh that out more. Like the written word, it, it's so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: It, it's, you you can't context. You can't, there's no font. You know what I mean? It, you can't mm-hmm. You can't write, have different tones and, and fonts and bold and italicized in a written piece. It just doesn't work like that on warchant.com or any website platform. So it doesn't color what you're saying the way that, you know, broadcasting in, in this form does, which is why I love this the most, because people can hear the sarcasm, they can hear the emotion, they can hear whatever. So it just, to me, because there's that disconnect, I felt like you got to be extra on it, whereas you can take an extra 10 seconds when you're on a radio broadcast or a video broadcast to to drive home why you're saying what you're saying. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. That's one thing I don't understand, and, and we don't have to go down this path too far, but the country was born out of people saying that this wasn't good enough to the English, <laughs> you know, like that's how we became a thing was that's not good enough. So how can we do better? But it's also okay to say, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we're doing pretty good in, in oh, the in, it's a
0: grand experiment. I mean, this it, kind of a doc democracy has never been done before.
1: Correct. Uh, and, it, and,
0: and we, we, you swing and miss a lot. We fail along the way. Hopefully we're always climbing upwards, uh,
1: it, it's forged by some despicable and disgusting things. You can say that, but then you can also say that we we consistently improve. You know, Now, maybe for the first time in my life, that's not the case because we can't sit down and have a civil conversation about anything no. anymore.
0: Nobody can reach across the aisle anymore. Nobody. It's become a game. It's become a reality TV show.
1: And we're being played and forced to oh, do that because sure, every sure. day we're being programmed to hate each other, which is just stupid. Uh,
0: the internet's responsible but, for that. Uh, you know, whether you Fox CNN, whatever they, but uh, generally, yeah, those are no longer news networks, those are angles.
1: Correct. But they're playing on us, the olds, and I'm going to call myself, you know, 35 and up these young kids, they, they look at the news and they laugh. I think it's like stupid. And and so that's my hope is that we just continue to improve incrementally as time goes along.
0: Yeah, well, it's always, it's always going to, be incumbent upon the youth to do that um old people get set in their ways and they have a yeah. certain way of thinking and it's hard for them to kind of kick their way out of that box but
1: uh, yeah at any rate that's how we got here was was we've said things aren't good enough you know yeah. and and I agree with you when you're talking about even something as small compared to that as a football program well yes uh, it's okay to say that Mike blew a fourth down call like that's okay it's okay to say that, you know, man, can they address the center problem? Does Maurice mm-hmm. Smith have to be the only guy who can snap a fucking ball in 15 years in this program? Like, Darius Kent. don't get me wrong, but we brought in guys that we think, absolutely, going to be the answer. Guys, I mean, Maurice only has one year left. It's, it's amazing that he's got one year left. but He's, he's also
0: only... going to leave here battered and bruised, man, that guy.
1: But I honestly think at his size, he can't get to 310. I think that is just an impossibility unless he's not playing football and he's just eating all the time. I think he'll make more money here next year than he would somewhere else so i, I think, agree i think I agree. You, you got him for one week, but you've only got him for one more year yeah, go, go find a goddamn center yes can, can <laughs> we please i mean yes. jesus we've like tried,
0: though. we brought in Caden lyle's we've done we've tried do you realize
1: that we have not maybe maurice is so like just just remove him but we have not had a recruited center be good for this program since but probably before i covered it
0: well brian stork but he was a tight end but he but yes a recruited center you're right yeah and cam irving was a tackle you know what i mean like they knew but they learned pretty quickly that stork was going to be a a center i'll give them that
1: but we haven't seen a guy that in high Mm -hmm. school like there's your fucking center like there were a couple of dudes that we thought were going to be that way and they just Mm -hmm. outside of maurice you got to go back to probably before i was in school i mean because the first guy i covered was mcmahon
0: and that i mean roller skates he was a center But uh, Castillo maybe, maybe?
1: like, I don't know, when's the last one?
0: Uh, It's been a long time, but they haven't had any consistency at the position. There's no doubt about that. And there hasn't been a guy that you could just set it and forget it and think, okay, there you go. Although Maurice has kind of turned out to be that guy. So I gotta give credit where credit's due. Uh, Really quick, and what I like about us rekindling, bellying up. There'll be days where this is 30 minutes long. There'll be days where this is two hours long. they are conversations, they're just conversations. And most of the time they're gonna be between Tom and I, but sometimes I'll have somebody else on, sometimes I'll have a guest or something and we'll, we'll use this feed for that. So it'll take on a lot of different things and uh, the Battles End is kind enough to sponsor it and uh, and be a part of what we're doing and we appreciate that greatly. Um, I really can't encourage you enough to, to sign up using that TBE50 code and, and get out there to play the golf tournament in Orlando Saturday before we play against LSU. Uh, if you're going to be over there and you love golf, it is an opportunity to help out uh, the battles in, which is doing great things, obviously, for Florida State's roster. But I, I the thing that I like is, you know, I, and Ingram and I are friends and, and I know the people, but here's the thing, man. One of the reasons that we partnered is that I, I really believe they're doing the right thing. Um, it's not just like, hey, this player is good. We need to keep him. Can you give him money? They're doing more than that, and that's important. I think you can feel good about kind of given to something like this. There's financial literacy. There's uh, there's a lot of stuff that they're doing to ensure that these guys are equipped after they leave here yeah. to 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 save that money and get off on the right foot if they don't have a pro career.
1: As yeah, the way I understand the things that they do, like. <laughs> College football, college sports in general is is not a clean sport by any stretch. And we know that college basketball, for example, has been...
0: Yeah, filthy <laughs> for years, yeah.
1: I mean, decades, generations. But these guys have real conversations with the players, whether it's somebody who departs the program or not.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they have real conversations about the reality of a situation, the reality of a value of a player, um, the reality of, you know, what is their what is their existence going to be at Florida State, and how can they best position themselves to be a, a, a brand five years after they're gone from Florida State? Ten years, like there's just it's yeah, it's not as simple as here's a briefcase, come play for us. Um, right, right. So that that's cool. Um, at the same time, you know, it takes some to it takes some to get some in terms of getting players on campus here or keeping players on campus here. So. Uh, if you if you do like good football, this is the era that we live in, and thankfully we're so far ahead of the curve. We were a laughing stock 18 months ago in this regard, but we're so far ahead of the curve that programs like Georgia are pissed off at us,
0: and they're going to continue to be pissed off at us as we grab kids that they want, and we're doing it to Alabama, Georgia, Miami all the time. By the way, boy, Miami is about done with us. I mean, they're making up herd. Yeah. Bird- fucking nonsense and all this other <laughs> stuff it's it's awesome um so yeah join the battle's end is what we're saying and uh we thank them tip the cap for the first episode back of bellying up and uh Tom and I will do it again next week we just didn't even get into Florida State uh, luckily we have the Jeff Cameron show for that as well so we'll get into some predictions there but I know we both like us to win the game against LSU let's end it on that note let's just tell everybody I mean I I do I think Florida State's going to beat LSU in Orlando
1: I agree. Um, Yeah, that was actually the show note was supposed to be to talk about that at length, but we've got more time to break that down. One more weekend of uh, reports out of LSU camp. It's just there's a whole lot of noise in that system right now in that machine, and there's very little noise in the Florida State machine.
0: No, every day it gets quieter at Florida State. It's like, oh, this guy's back at practice. That's good news. Check. Oh, this guy's back at practice. That's good news. Check. Oh, they seem to be buttoned up here. Oh, Jordan had another good day throwing the ball. Check. Oh, well, you know, over and over and over again.
1: I just, I I think this team for better or worse, and sometimes it's going to be a little bit of both. This team is going to feature more game-changing plays than last year's team. I thought last year's team was fairly controlled.
0: Tom, because you're talking about both sides of the ball.
1: Yeah, I I think we're more apt for maybe some turnovers uh, in a good form and a bad form. Um, I think that the defense is going to make splash plays, and I think they're going to give up some home runs. But I think they're going to make plays and put us in plus territory, short field, sudden change, things like that. Jordan's been really, really good this camp, better than he's ever been. But the ball's in danger more often. And I don't know what the fuck to make of that. I don't know if that's it's
0: okay. you know we're gonna I I know what to make of it. I think we're gonna be more aggressive on both sides of the ball. And that means there are gonna be moments like you just described perfectly that are game-changing. Sometimes it runs against you, but I think you gotta play that way because you have the personnel to play that way, and the modern game is a score fest. And, you know, if you think you're going to beat people 24 to 17 or 24 to 14 or something like that in the modern game, yeah. it's just really not going to happen all that often unless it's inclement weather or weird conditions, whatever. I I think you got to try to race to 38 every weekend. And in most days, that'll get you uh, a lopsided victory with this schedule. There's only a couple instances where it won't. Uh, I think one of those instances might be this game on uh, against LSU. Uh I think like, if you score 38, you'll win the game, but I'm not so sure it won't be really close at 38. Like 38-34 yeah. is a real possibility type thing is what I'm saying. So, you know, most days that race to 38 to light up the scoreboard with all the talent you have and a Heisman candidate quarterback, you, you'll end up scoring 50 if you're racing to 38 because the other team's not good enough and you'll end up dominating the game. Yeah. But there's a couple instances where that's not true.
1: I Yeah, the last thing I'd say, maybe we can flesh this out more next time, um, there is an undercurrent that i feel that this team could be alarmingly dominant in the 12 game schedule i believe that now that there's that's a possibility i would have said it's impossible before this camp started they could be really good they can achieve their their goals they could go 11 and 1 ball bounces right they could go 12 and 0 but not in a dominant way you need some things to to go you know uh football turnover luck whatever needs to be in your favor to get there this team could run away from the two good teams on their schedule, just with what I'm seeing. It is a, well, now, it's now a possibility.
0: The one final thing, and we are going to end on this note. I actually have to take my kid to school, my other one. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are both aware of and constantly remind each other of this, but the truth is, for anybody anywhere covering any team, You only get to see Florida State play Florida State every day. Yeah. And so you can't know for sure. I'm not at Georgia's practice. I'm not at Clemson's practice. I'm not at LSU's practice. We're relying on secondhand information. LSU's practices are mostly closed. Mostly closed. So... I don't know. I think Florida State's really good, too, Tom. I do. And I think they've got a lot of weapons and a lot of ways that yeah. they could dominate the schedule. I agree with you. But we only see Florida State well, play Florida State.
1: Agreed. I'm not saying that they would go to the playoff and be alarmingly dominant. I'm just no, saying
0: no, I know that LSU no, is flawed.
1: Just, Clemson is flawed. I
0: agree. But to the extent we know how flawed and how yeah. good, we don't. We're not there. We do yeah. not know. I don't. Like, it would be helpful to know how good is Clemson's offensive line. Yeah. It'd be helpful to know how good are Clemson's receivers. How good is Cade Clubnick every day in practice? I I don't know. Like we're not there. We don't have any idea. It might be that if you and I got plopped into Clemson practices for a week straight, we would come back and go, "Well, that game's going to be a problem." Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. we don't yeah. we don't know. So They're educated guesses is what they are, and they are. They're educated guesses. We do know about returning personnel and tendencies from coaches and when the game's being played and where, all that kind of stuff. But these are educated guesses. Uh, All right, Tommy, this was fun. I love doing this. We'll do it more. Uh, Thanks to all of you for listening. I hope you enjoyed bellying up, brought to you by the Battles Inn. And uh, until next time, uh, have a good day. Be good. Peace.